Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We've been in a series, Beholding Jesus on the Cross. And this morning, we're going to talk about a king and his kingdom. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, so if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. Listen, if you're a porn addict this morning, if you're sexually broken this morning, if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, behold this story. Do not read this story and miss it. If you're a criminal, a murderer, an abuser, listen closely to this text. If you're a yelling mom or a yelling dad, an angry spouse, rebellious and bitter teenager, if you're a bully, open your ears this morning and hear this passage. If you're mentally broken, if you have been a victim, if you have been abused, if you feel like you're too messed up or way too far gone, Luke 23 is for you. And to the ones who are sitting here and believe that if someone knew every awful thing about them, then there would be no one in the world who could possibly love them. Behold the man on the cross. Open your eyes and see the truth. See Jesus. And if you are so brave to do so, it is at the cross that all of us have to ask these questions. Will I be forgiven or will I be condemned for what I have done? Will I have paradise or will I have judgment for my actions on earth? In Luke 23, verses 32 through 43, you have a crowd, you have a king, and you have a kingdom. Will you stand with me and read God's word with me? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him, And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over Jesus, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, 
today you'll be with me in paradise. This is God's word spoken to you. You can take a seat. You have your sermon outlines, you can pull them out. The first point is behold the crowd. Who's in the crowd? You have, a, you have religious rulers, you have Roman soldiers, you have Jews, and you have Gentiles. And these people, what are they doing as Jesus is being crucified? They mock him. They watch Jesus suffer and die for their own entertainment and pleasure. In high school, when I was growing up, there would be these fights that would occur um, and maybe you have similar mem memories. This is a lot like a scene of a high school fight where a bully uh, takes out an innocent nerd and then everyone goes running like a herd of cattle to see the fight and no one dares to try to stop it. It's too entertaining. There's too much pleasure in seeing someone else suffer. If anything, if you were like me, you would be amidst the crowd chanting, fight, fight, fight. What evil is this? Pleasure in someone else's misfortune and suffering. This is not just a first century evil, but it's an evil that resides in me and it resides also in you. Don't you kind of love a good gossip session? Spitting on and mocking, scoffing at someone else. Do you kind of love it when you open up your social media app and find out that a pastor or a leader has been caught in sin or in adultery? Don't you kind of get a high when you hear about someone else's life falling apart? It's rather thrilling when you hear those stories. Isn't that why we like to watch the news? Don't you find yourself, if you're anything like me, watching movies secretly hoping for some sort of scandalous affair or some sort of graphic, gory scene. It's kind of like picking at a scab. It's so wrong, but feels so satisfying. Or maybe it's probably just me, maybe, I don't know. Emily said don't say that. <laughs> but I did, so here. <laughs> if you and I were in Luke chapter 23 in the story, we would be no different. Stuttered Kennedy writes a poem that really captures the nature of our human hearts. Let me read it to you. When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary. They crowned him with a crown. Red wore his wounds and deep, for those were crude and cruel days, and human flesh was cheap. When Jesus came to Citrus County, they simply passed him by. They would not hurt a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender and they would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. An innocent man was being unjustly killed and no one stopped it. We would not have stopped it either. But in this story, we do have a criminal. A criminal whose life's summation, who lived a life that was worthy of crucifixion. And this criminal says something so profound 
And his interaction with Jesus is so incredible. He looks to Jesus and he confesses that his crucifixion is warranted. And then he says that Jesus is innocent and he's the only one in this scene to admit to that. You see this criminal, he sees Jesus as a king. He really does. And he sees his kingdom. In verse 42, the criminal asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. This crucified criminal sees Jesus. He sees a king and he sees a kingdom. The second point is behold the king. Why is Jesus on the cross? According to the crowd, it's because he claimed to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah, and he wasn't to them. And so, as proof, they're crucifying him. The Messiah cannot die, be killed. But what the crowd did not realize is that this Jesus, this man, he's the snake-crushing king of heaven and earth. He's the king that the stories of Old Testament have been telling about. He's the king that the prophets have been prophesying about for centuries. In Genesis 3, 3, you have Adam and Eve in a garden. And in that garden, they are tempted. And they give in to temptation. In Luke chapter 22, right before this scene, Jesus is in the garden. And he's tempted. And he prays to his father asking if it was possible for God to make another way for his life, to will another way for him. His prayer is this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, though, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Why is Jesus on the cross? The Father wills for Jesus to die. That is his command to Jesus, his son. The father commanded Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree. And unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus obeys. He's willing to die on the cross. Paul in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, says this about Jesus. Though Jesus was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's occurring in Luke chapter 23 is a similar story that we see in Genesis 22 with Abraham and his son Isaac. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want to take your only beloved son. I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar to me. And so in faith, Abraham obeys God's will, climbs a mountain with his beloved son and takes his son and places him on an altar. Isaac, the son of Abraham, listens to his father and trusts his father. He willingly allows the father to place him on the altar. Abraham raises the knife to kill his son. And something happens. Intervention, divine intervention. God stops him. 
It is in that moment that a ram is caught in thorns and is in sacrifice instead of Isaac. Like Abraham's obedience to God's will and Isaac's obedience to his father, so Jesus obeys God, his father, by willingly laying himself down on an altar. And just like God provided a ram for Isaac, so here lies Jesus, the ram. He was the sacrifice for Isaac all those years ago. 700 years before the cross, before Luke 23, the prophet Isaiah makes a prophecy about the crucifixion, about this moment. He says, Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verses five through seven, that this servant of the Lord who has come, he will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on the servant of the Lord the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And then in verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put the servant of the Lord to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And then in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Why does Abraham obey God? Even if it meant the death of his beloved son. Why does Isaac obey his father and God, even if it meant the loss of his own life? Why does the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53, submit to God's will to be crushed, pierced, wounded, and slaughtered. And why does Jesus obey God on the cross? Because he loves God and because of forgiveness. In Luke 23, 34, if you have your Bibles, you can look there. The first thing Jesus says as he hangs on the cross, the first thing that comes out of his mouth after he has been abused and victimized, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can the Father forgive a people that murder his own son? How can he forgive murderers and criminals, mockers and pleasure watchers? In the Old Testament, the way that people would be forgiven, that God had made for sinners, has always been through the shedding of innocent blood. In Leviticus 16, you have this day of atonement that is described by the Lord. And if you were to look there and read, it's, it's absolutely an incredible scene of what it takes for your sins to be cleansed and for you to be made right with the Lord. And what they would do is they would take these two goats and one of the goats they would, they would slaughter and they would take its blood and sprinkle it on the people to cleanse them of their unrighteousness. And then the other goat, the high priest would grab the goat by the head, by the horns, and he would speak upon the goat all of the evil that Israel had done and committed. And he would send the goat out into the wilderness. Jesus on the cross is both goats. He's the goat whose blood is being poured out. And he's the goat who's having all the sins of God's people placed upon him. 
He's being killed. And he's being cast out from God's love and cast into his wrath. The rulers and one of the criminals on the cross, they mock Jesus by saying, if you are so innocent, if you are God's son, if you are the king, the Messiah, then why don't you save yourself? If you're able to save others, raise others from the dead, heal the blind, cleanse lepers, why can you not save yourself? And we're left to wonder, if Jesus is the son of God, why doesn't he command a legion of angels to come down and rescue him? Why doesn't God deliver his beloved son from the cross? These questions miss the point. The crowd couldn't see it. They failed to see the king. This king didn't come to save himself, but this king came to save his people who are sinners. The Father delivered Jesus to us so that we could be delivered from wrath, sin, and death. And the only way for this to be done is for innocent blood to be shed. Jesus is my sacrifice. Jesus is my substitute. Jesus is my savior. And he is my king. There's another group in Luke 23. Luke is writing this story down to an audience, to readers. He wants you to read this story and he wants you to wrestle with this question. Who is the man on the cross? Is he your king? The third point. Behold the kingdom. In Revelation 5, you have the apostle John. He has this vision. It's an amazing vision. And there's this scroll and the seals. And there is no one on heaven and earth worthy to open the scroll and these seals. And it's depressing. It's this feeling of hopelessness. It's so he feels so hopeless, John, as he, he witnesses this scroll that needs to be opened to be revealed to the world. He, he weeps. And then an elder comes up to him and says, weep no more in, in Revelation 5.5. 5, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is this lion of Judah? Who is this root of David? And the next verse, John sees coming in his, into his vision a slaughtered lamb. And this slaughtered lamb is able to open the scroll in verses nine through 10, everyone together sings, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Who is in Jesus' kingdom? It is those who have been ransomed by his blood. In Luke 23, in the text, who, what character in this text is clearly part of God's kingdom? 
It's not the pleasure-watching crowd. It's not the mockers or the religious rulers or the Romans. But it is a criminal, a man whose life warranted crucifixion, a man whose best efforts, his, a man whose works had earned him the death penalty. And in the final minutes of his life, and in the final seconds, he's the only one in this story that beholds Jesus in all of his glory. Look at verses 39 through 43. Let me read them to you. It's, it's an amazing moment. It's radical. It doesn't make sense to me, especially as one who's tried really, really hard to live a good life. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Listen, listen closely. And the criminal said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two criminals, one mocks and one confesses. The one who confesses, he gets it. What does he get? What does he understand? He understands that he's a sinner. He understands that he deserves death on a cross. He owns this, and then he admits that Jesus is nothing like him, that Jesus is innocent. And he's the only one in this scene that does that. And then he, like a child, asks Jesus to remember him. Remember me, Jesus when you come into your kingdom. What is the kingdom? In Revelation 5, 9 through 10, the kingdom is ransomed souls. The kingdom is of sinners saved by the blood of the lamb, saved by King Jesus, the conqueror of sin and death. Everyone in this thing that is witnessing Jesus on the cross thinks that Jesus has lost the disciples, they think that it's over. We just, we walked in, everyone threw down palm branches. Here's the king, he's here, we're taking over. Now it's done, he's on the cross, this is game over, this is defeat. But every single one of them is wrong. It is victory. T.F. Torrance writes, the cross with all its incredible Meekness and patience and compassion is no deed of passive and beautiful heroism simply, but the most potent and aggressive deed that heaven and earth have ever known. It's the attack of God's holy love upon the inhumanity of men and the tyranny of evil. It's on the cross that Jesus takes away the sinner's sin and guilt. It's on that cross that Jesus satisfies God's holy wrath against us. On the cross, Jesus makes a way for sinners to have a relationship with God that's like a father and a son. And Jesus pays in full the, external, the eternal expense that you have cost against an eternal God. 
On the cross, Jesus crushes the head of the serpent that was prophesied in Genesis 3. And on the cross, Jesus makes a way for a criminal to be saved at the last possible second. And on the cross, Jesus has done the same for you. And this is the kingdom. It's a kingdom of ransomed souls. It's a kingdom of sinners who come to Jesus with empty hands and behold him and find a kingdom and find a family and find paradise. If you are brave enough to come to the cross, you have to ask these questions. Will I be forgiven or condemned for my actions on earth? If you come to the cross, you have to ask Jesus, will you remember me? Will you give me paradise or give me judgment for what I have done? To the ones who are sitting here in this room who believe that there's no possible way someone could love them if they knew every awful thing they have done. To those who believe that, you're wrong. Jesus knows every awful thing you have ever done. And with joy and gladness, he voluntarily lays his life down for you. There's no greater love than for one to give up his life for another. He places all your awful sins upon himself and sacrifices himself because he loves his dad and he loves you. Confess. Jesus forgives you. He always will. Go to the cross and ask him to remember you. Oh, I grew up in a pastor's family, and that comes with a lot of interesting things. And my dad was a pastor. Um, you know, we, we had to kind of, in a lot of ways, perform and make things look like everything was okay. But let me tell you something. My home, it was not okay. If you were to ask my siblings, we would all, probably the story I'm about to share with you would say this is probably one of the hardest moments in our family history, maybe the darkest moment in our family history. It was one of those days, it was beautiful outside. I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like any bad things always happen on days like that. And I remember my parents, they started to bicker and get in a fight and then it started oscillating between us as siblings and each other and there was just this moment of just chaos and craziness and everyone is at each other's throats. I remember the broken plates on the floor and I remember the smell of peanut butter because peanut butter jars had been thrown. I remember words being said that should never have ever been said and feelings that were hurt that are probably still hurt to this very day. And I remember my parents eventually telling all of us to go to our rooms. And so we all go to our rooms. I'm sitting in my room at middle school and I'm thinking this is the end of our family. 
When I leave this room today, whenever that is, it might even be tomorrow, when I come out of this room, my parents, they're going to tell us we're getting a divorce. And sure enough, they, they call us out into the living room. We all sit in the living room. And I remember sitting there thinking, this, this, is, this, is, this is it. There's no way this can be fixed. And what my parents did next probably converted me. Both of them with tears coming down their eyes, wept and apologized to us, and then they bowed on the floor. And over the speakers of our TV, they played a worship song. And it was, it's as awkward as you thought it would be, think it would be. And I remember the song that they played. It was called Sweetly Broken by Jeremy Riddle. And I wanna read you the lyrics. And as they sang this song, weeping, laying on the floor before us, I fell to the floor too and soaked the floor with my tears. To the cross I look and to the cross I cling. Of its suffering I do drink. Of its work I do sing. On it my Savior, both bruised and crushed, showed that God is love and God is just. At the cross, you beckon me. You draw me gently to my knees. And I'm lost for words, so lost in love. I'm sweetly broken, wholly surrendered. It was like Jesus was in the room, because he was. Jesus is the substitute for my family. He's the sacrifice for my family. He's the savior of my family. And he's the king of my family. And that means that no matter what, I am his beloved son. So are my parents and so are my siblings. Beloved children of God not because of anything they have done, said, or accomplished, but solely based on the works that are done on the cross. To the sinners in the room, you are not too far gone, and it is not too late. There's a criminal on the cross at the last seconds of his life who is saved and is with Jesus in paradise. You do not have to clean yourself up. You can be forgiven in this moment in the state that you are in right now. If you come to the cross to behold Jesus this morning, and we'll have people praying after service. If you come to them and you bow your knee and you bow here, and you behold Jesus, you will not be met with condemnation, but you will be met with these words that are in verse 43. My child, you'll be with me in paradise. My child, you will be with me. You will be with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word.
Thank you that it is true. I come to you confessing as a as an angry husband, as an impatient father. I come to you confessing as a lazy worker, a stubborn um, follower of you. I come to you uh, with my self-righteousness and often thinking I'm better than others. I just confess I am wrong and I need you. I need your forgiveness. Um, Father, uh, be gentle with us and be near to us and show us that it is possible for us to be loved just as we are in this very moment. In Jesus' name. listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.